This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests. I'm Giles Perry Phillips, and with me, my comrade in this venture, it's Jim Daly. It's got very army themed, quickly. Yeah, just thought of go a bit more serious. <laughs> Are we serious? No, but this this segment is. It is very true. Yeah, very true. We need to be more serious. Now, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Good. Not too bad at all. Yeah, excited for today's podcast because it's a bit of a comedy legend. Ah. Oh. One of the best. Yeah, indeed. A le- uh, well, a legend is, you know, it's banded around these days, but he really is one of the legends. Genuinely. Yeah. But before we get into that, yeah, uh, what have you been up to in the last week? It's been a bit of a weird week, actually. I think I think we've discussed this off air, you know. I think we're both sort of scrabbling around for work and stuff at the moment. So, Very much so, you know, yeah. um, Emphasis on the scrabbling. Yeah, and sort of panic starts to set in a little <laughs> and bit. And the panic, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's been one of those weeks, but I'm sure things will, you know, life founds, finds a way mm. as as a famous... Jeff Goldblum quote. Oh, <laughs> maybe that's life finding a way right now. Um, yeah, these things work out. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine. Well, likewise. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. Um, but someone who's more than fine in terms of his comedy CV um, and acting CV, and in fact, varied CV, which we do get onto, is uh, the wonderful Sanjeev Bhaskar. Yeah. Who's uh, today's pod? Yeah. I've been a massive fan of Sanjeev back from the sort of goodness gracious me days and obviously he's, he prolifically acts nowadays he's in he pops up in all sorts of things I think he was in the Paddington movies and uh, he's been in all sorts of things and uh, he's just such a lovely guy yeah really nice guy yeah and uh, we, we shared a very enjoyable hour talking to him about all the things he'd been into specifically his story of getting into comedy yes which, is, which was quite late it's in his novel, quite it? late yeah. and it's quite an unusual way uh, that he got into it but it's very interesting indeed um, and that's why we do this pod. You know, exactly, to find out, to find these, out these interesting stories. stories. Yeah, and everyone's got a, an interesting story, haven't they? You know, and 
Sanjeev's was very interesting. Start, it didn't start comedy till 31. I think he started in marketing. Mm. Found that wasn't the path he wanted to lead and found, found you know, but he'd always been into comedy and, and find, found a way to do that with his friend and they started playing gigs and stuff. But anyway, I don't want to well, say too much. The rest is history. Yeah, I don't want to go on too much about it because obviously you can hear it all in the pod. Well, let's hear from the man himself yeah, we'll right now. Should. This is uh, Sanjeev Basco on The Blank Pod. Well, are we, are we, are we yeah, all right? Yeah, we? we're all good. Fantastic. <coughs> Sanjeev Bashkar. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the Rank Podcast. Pleasure. Pleasure. Real pleasure. I like your T-shirt as well. Oh, right. Uh, yes, I'm wearing a Beatles T-shirt. Yeah. Doesn't work. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Just for those people who, kind of like, who can't see it through their uh, listening devices, it is a Beatles. Very, very simple. Mm. Just the word Beatles on it as opposed to images of the... Are you a Beatles fan? fan? Huge. Huge. What? Huge Beatles fan. For, forever and ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've kind of my my, my so my earliest memory is two and a half, and so uh, I've got a fairly vivid memory from about three onwards, and so for as far back as I can remember, uh, the Beatles. Um, you know, the music was around, but also, I think you know they were geniuses. I mean, it's yeah. it's lightning in a bottle, but I think you know, along with maybe Mozart, uh, in terms of being able to fashion a tune I think they're absolutely extraordinary yeah. and the fact that they were kind of you know their their um, recording career was kind of what, a little over seven or eight years I think that's remarkable yeah. and also I think it's the only band that I can think of that you hear grow up through their music Yeah. so you hear that please please me stuff and then you know uh, White Album it's what, yeah it's, I want to hold your hand and then you get yeah yeah, yeah to and so you Sergeant Peppers hear them yeah. mature as people and I don't think I've Ever, I can't think of another band. Where well, I guess, happened. yeah, and like I say, I think although it was an intense kind of period of writing and recording, that I guess bands often now they just split up or they just continue to generate like whatever's crowd pleasing or whatever it might be. But actually, those guys did really try and push the boundaries. Yeah, I think. I mean, it was the four of them as individuals, and also then meeting George Martin as a producer, yeah. who kind of helped and you know inspired yeah. and facilitated all of that was was uh, an extraordinary meeting of people Yeah, uh, for that to happen. And I think, uh, probably similar to you, my earliest memories of music mm. are the Beatles. You know, my mum had Sgt. Peppers, and I remember getting the sleeve out and loved the sleeve, you know, and you check who all the people were on yes. the back, you know. <laughs> That's right. And th- that was the thing that was like, oh, who, who is this? You know, who is that and who is this? And it's just that, those early memories of those tunes. And, the, and you know, things like when I'm 64, kind of, you know, it was like a kind of, this real poppy kind of tune. And then... Then you know other tracks on there like Sergeant Peppers and stuff, which is just out there. You know, I kind of I, I had the chance uh, a couple of years ago when it was the fiftieth anniversary of Sergeant Pepper. They did a couple of um, uh, they did a couple of what do you call them? Playings? Uh, they played them out. They played yeah, them yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in um, Dolby Atmos, which is kind of you know hundred sort of like speakers or whatever, and. Um, I think in this country, I think there's only a couple of places I think Dolby Atmos exists. It's uh, to Abbey Road, I think, have got Dolby Atmos there. And I think the Dolby sort of um, screening rooms. So I was invited to the screening rooms and uh, Giles Martin, George's son, kind of introduced it. And so there were about uh, maybe 30 people who'd been invited along. 
And we were sitting in, you know, it's a screening room, so in cinema sort of seats. And he came in and introduced it. And basically they took the lights down and just played the album. Wow. So there's that weird moment where you're sitting completely in the dark <laughs> next to people you don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, not looking at anything, but all <laughs> facing the same way. But it was it, to hear that the, the music kind of split into that many channels was absolutely amazing because you could hear every instrument. Yeah. And then you could hear what, you know, something like um, Paul McCartney's bass playing was, I, I never appreciated how good it was. And um, Martin Freeman was there and he kind of said, well, you know, he, he plays it like a lead guitar. And mm. suddenly you hear what he's doing and you kind of go, that really is another level of extraordinary. Yeah. You know, for an album that I, you know, I knew backwards. Mm. So, yeah, it's amazing. Some of the tracks are amazing. Yeah, I guess listening in the dark is interesting as well, isn't it? Because it, may, it, it heightens your listening senses. Yeah, that's right. I never yeah. thought of doing that, but it's probably a really good idea. I do sometimes do that. Put, if it's late at night, put the headphones on in a dark room and listen to music. You do, yeah, it is amazing what it I, can do well, to you. Well, I tell you what, the, the, I, I agree with you uh, completely. The, the interesting thing about this experience, apart from it being a shared one, is that, first of all, it's not in your ears. It's surrounding you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other thing was that we were all doing something that people used to do with albums, which is that you listen to it from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You know, you get bored after 30 seconds. I don't even, <laughs> I don't really even listen to albums anymore. I just listen, no, well, listen I just to playlists. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Playlists have become the thing. I yeah. don't even know. I'll listen to a song. But I know, I know that song. I don't know who it's by or what album it's from. But it's as a, a song musician, I know, I know yeah. that actually putting an album together is a really like delicate yeah, thing exactly. to do. Like to make and sure there's no appreciation. Yeah. People agonizing over the it just doesn't feel right being tracked through. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It just yeah. does a bit, and so suddenly some twerp somewhere <laughs> yeah. is kind of got playlist. <laughs> shuffle. <laughs> I'm that twerp. Great. That concept album has now got Betty Boo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if anything, it's improved it. <laughs> That's a weird playlist, though. You've got Betty Boo coming on. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I was compiling a kind of dance playlist the um, day before yesterday, and uh, one of the d Betty Boo doing the Doing the do. Doing the do, doing the do yeah. And I just thought, actually, I used to quite like this. So I stuck it on the playlist. <laughs> Why not? Was it quite high up? Was it? Is it going to come on quite early? Uh, it'll be Are you shoveling a shovel? It's shuffle. <laughs> it's going to be shuffled. You know, it'll be the fates. The fates will decide whether Betty Boo comes up first or last. It's one of those things, agonising <laughs> things, when you put your, if you put your music on shuffle at a party or something, and then suddenly, like, that mindfulness CD or mindfulness <laughs> suddenly, came, suddenly kicks in and you're like, oh, no, no. Or well, that <laughs> you thing you've recorded like... onto your phone yourself. <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. cabbages. Yeah. Uh, anyway, welcome to the Beatles podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we should just do that instead. <laughs> no, but it's interesting, like, thinking about, like, those early memories of getting into kind of the creative arts, I guess, you know. Mm. Now... You grew up in Ealing, is that right? Yeah, born in Ealing and then yeah. grew up in Hounslow, which is... Yeah, and you li right. lived above a laundrette. Yeah, from uh, from about the age of, uh, well, two and a half, which is my mm. first memory, was kind of my parents going to have a look at this flat above the laundrette. So that's my first memory. And so, yeah, the the um, I was there till I was 16, I think, and then we moved, then they bought a house. But, uh, yeah, above the laundrette. Could you hear the machines whirring you couldn't know that the, mm. the the flat was always very warm and it oh, was on yeah, a yeah. main road and we had no garden uh there was just kind of a, a service road at the back yeah uh that gave you access to the back of the building and we lived next door that we had a fish and chip shop on one side 
uh, run by Auntie Phyllis and Uncle Gordon. <laughs> they were on one side, and then on the other side was an electrical shop. Okay. Um, so it was, it was this, it was this strange little community because it was a parade of shops, and certainly as a kid, when we were the, at first certainly we were the only sort of Asian family that were living there. So I think most of the people in the shops got to know who I was. Yeah. Just from wandering past and me saying hello and by their um, uh, monikers, obviously Phyllis and Gordon became particularly close. Mm. And. Uh, when my parents were busy or working or something, um, I'd sit in the chip shop with them behind the bar. I did say to someone that, you know, looking at it now, you know, if it happened now, somebody might just kind of, because I would be sitting behind the, you know, it was the service bar. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. Um, I probably looked like the owner. I probably <laughs> looked like this overachieving little kind of Asian guy who <laughs> bought this place and had employed Phyllis and Gordon to work for me. <laughs> but didn't trust them, so they were just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, exactly. Keep an eye on them. Watching them, yeah. yeah. Did but, you get to sample stuff, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, fish and chips is still, is still yeah. super comfort food for me. Um, but they were, they were absolutely amazing people. And I, I remember doing a documentary... Oh, gosh, when was it? Probably about nine, ten years ago. And I, when I got a chance to talk about them, uh, Gordon and Phyllis Fuligar and I kind of said you know what they have been the benchmark for me in terms of the best of British mm. because they you know they were working class they kind of ran this chip shop uh, they all the kind of elements that I was brought up to believe were great British traits they kind of had they were funny mm. they were open they were generous they were kind of polite um they weren't judgmental in any way. They were just extraordinary people. So I think, you know, between them and Roger Moore, I think, you know, my, <laughs> my kind of like, you know, etching of... Was Roger Moore the boat who owned the electric shop? That was, <laughs> that was Morris. Morris at the uh, electric shop. Yeah. Roger Moore was kind of, you know, in our living room <laughs> yeah. uh, to quite a degree. So, uh, yeah, I think that that notion of Britishness that came out of that, I mm. think really stayed with me and uh, it's really interesting I did a documentary where I went around India um, probably about 15 years ago now, and uh, one of the and I wrote a book afterwards and uh, when I was writing the book and I slightly kicked myself for not having asked it uh, on camera but I asked people in India at that time I said if I say the word British to you what, what associations do you have what, what are the words that come to mind and they pretty pretty universally all around India, they said, um, "Oh, um, good manners, uh, writing, Shakespeare, Dickens, yeah. music, Beatles, um, you know, uh, fair play, all this." Kind of, and I remember coming back and I wrote this in the book, and I thought it's such a shame that we don't aspire. Yeah to the way that we mm. are perceived. I mean, that's all that's changed now, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Everyone kind of goes, oh, yeah. God, what a bunch of dorks. But, yeah. you know, nevertheless, that kind of, um, uh, you know, that uh, th those words, so that stick of rock over time, I think are still sound. And I think that they all still do hold, you know, that, that had some value. And I think for all the, you know, uh, uh, quite reasonable discussions and criticisms of... Uh, empire, you know, one of the things was that, you know, a lot of people were left with a lot of positive mm. images. And I, I still think it's extraordinary that, you know, given that my parents were both born 
uh, you know, under the British Raj, you know, at a time where, you know, perhaps in today's parlance, it would be called an occupying force would be there for 200 years, mm. that within, within a decade of India becoming a free nation, that my dad thought it was an absolutely logical and reasonable step to come and live in the land of the, I'm using quote fingers here, yeah, yeah. former oppressors. Yeah. I think that's extraordinary to me. Yeah. In terms of, a, a, I can't imagine that happening anywhere in the world now. Yeah. We kind of go, this country has kind of like taken over you, has kind of formulated your laws, restricted the way that you can live. And yet, you know, within 10 years, you kind of go, yeah, go and live there. So why did he think that, do you think? I think they all thought that. I think that that notion of what Britishness meant, which is all the things that my dad also said to me that were being echoed decades later by people in India, I think they had that in their heads. And I think it was... Yeah, reasonable and, and acceptable a decision. And also, you know, the irony being that particularly the late 50s and early 60s, you know, Britain needed workers. And so uh, it's always been the greatest irony that, you know, it was Enoch Powell that <laughs> was the one who was inviting him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then had a change yeah, of heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, at that time, uh, Britain needed workers. And so uh, as part of the Commonwealth by then, um, it was seen as as a fair move. You know, it, was, it was seen as a more comfortable move than to go to America, yeah. say, which, which I think that exodus from India happened a lot later. Those values you talk of are exactly what I would imagine Britishness to be and what I try and strive to be, which is why I find it so frustrating now that it's all just so polarised and skewed and a mess. Well, the thing is, that, me too. I mean, I, you know, I aspire to exactly the, the same ideals. And I think that... So much of it comes down to choice. It comes down to do you wish to be the highest form of yourself or not? Mm. And, you know, that is a choice. And, you know, the striving for it is the thing that, you know, I never expected people to necessarily understand me, but I absolutely uh, respected the people who tried. Mm. You know, and that became the difference for me in terms of some people just didn't bother trying. Yeah. Mm. But you have to try. If you don't, if you don't try, you don't learn and improve. If you don't try and understand other people who are different from you, what is the point? Literally, what is the point in anything? Well, that's how I would see it. All right. Okay. Well, I think we're done. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Your time's up. Uh, same time next week for you. Um, yeah, there is no point. The whole point of being on this planet is to connect. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the opposite of... Um, uh, love to me is not hate; it's fear. I think yeah. fear mm-hmm. generates hate, and so those are the, the those are the kind of polar opposites for me. Yeah. And so, I, I remember kind of thinking, well, you know, the, the blank. We're going to get to the blanks now, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whenever you want, we blanked too early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, <laughs> whenever. Hold back. Blanked too early. Um, <laughs> so it, it, the thing about um, because it all ties in, I think, for me. Which is that something I said to uh, some chancellor of uh, Sussex University and something I've said to the students there, which is there's two things. One, one thing is um, in terms of encountering difficulties in your life, you know, obstacles and stuff like that. And I said, you know, that you are always defined by what you do next. You know, who you are is your next decision. 
not the last thing that happened to you because it could have happened for a number of reasons. It could have happened because of your own sort of uh, miscalculation. It could be just unfortunate. There are loads of things. But the next decision is yours. So that's who you are. So that was my thing with, with hitting um, obstacles. Mm-hmm. And the th- whole thing about knowing the difference between your instincts, which I think are r- always right, and your fears, because your instincts and your fears speak with exactly the same vocabulary, in exactly the same accent, with exactly the same cadence. And so how do you know? How do you know whether it's your instinct speaking or your fear speaking? Because that's going to inform your decision, which is going to be who you are. And my thing was that, and this may sound oversimplistic, but it was kind of, okay, take the decision. The, the instinct one is the one that's coming from love every single time. And that can be, you know, love for somebody else, love for a situation, love for yourself as well. But that is the highest you. The, 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 the step that you take, which is a loving step, is the highest you. Mm. And it's not about being judgmental on people who take the fearful step. But it's it's part of that journey is to kind of understand it, understand it in yourself and then understand that other people face those same, you know, crossroads all the time. So that for me is kind of, the, you know, that whole thing about, because um, I was saying to you earlier that, you know, there mm. are different kind of blanks. You know, there yeah, are, yeah, yeah. There's fearful blank and then there's kind of neutral blank and then there can be happy blank as well. And... Um, you know, the happy blank we don't have to worry too much about. Yeah. You're in a good state of mind yourself, and you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, neutral blank is kind of all right as well because, you know, it's fine. It's like treading water. Yeah. Um, you know, fearful blank is is the one that, you know, because it, you know, it's never completely blank. Your blank is then filled with anxiety. Yeah. And so it's not complete. And that is confusing and all the rest of it. It is then just kind of going, okay, what is the most loving step I can take now? And it's not one that will necessarily solve a problem or resolve an issue. But it'll take you one step in that direction, you know, to to be able to solve it, to be able to resolve it. Um, So, yeah, that's that's what I've got to say. We should definitely get T-shirts made with fearful blank. Neutral blank <laughs> and happy blank, and you can just wear whichever one you're feeling that day or whatever you're going through. Well, well thank thing- you for that business. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also the thing is, you know, the important thing is for no one to kind of attach shame to it because yeah. that's what happens a lot of the time is you get into fearful blank and then you kind of your self worth crumbles and then there's shame attached to it and mm-hmm. it's kind of everybody does it. You know, it's kind of it's it's accessing good coping mechanisms for those when they happen. Yeah, and and recognizing that that they are all temporary, as well. That's true, and that's yeah. really powerful to to recognize that, because when you're in that fearful blank moment and the anxiety is kicking in and the embarrassment and the shame, it feels it feels so overwhelming, like the whole world's yeah, collapsing. It's defined, it's defined you at that point, you know. And uh, there's something else I say to the students at Sussex, which is you know don't don't let a bad moment define you, or a bad day, or a bad week, or even a bad month. Or even a bad year. I had a bad decade once, but I came out. <laughs> you know, and it's and it's true. It's kind of, uh, uh, but also, you know, if all your steps are kind of loving steps, and that sounds kind of like a bit sort of sissy and weedy these days, but um, you do step out of it. Yeah, you, and you find other people who are there to kind of, you know, give you a hand and give you support and all the rest of it. The worst thing is being stuck in that anxiety blank 
Mm. And then, you know, it just compoundedly being adding the shame and then the fear and then low self-esteem. And then that's just then, you know, uh, a downward spiral, which is harder and harder to get out of. You know, and so and you, you lose love for yourself at that point. You definitely. Know, kind of oh, keeping that self-love is incredibly powerful, but incredibly difficult. Yeah, it is hard. To do that. Yeah. But I think even just listening to you talk about it, it's making me nod along. So I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you've got to do. But I know it's hard to do. But it yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah, it is hard to do. But also I think it's like muscle memory. I think the more you do it, the easier it becomes. You know, it's... Uh, so yeah, I think you. I, I certainly I had to train myself into it. I wasn't born that way. Mm. And so I was going to say, what yeah. kind of moments have led you to that? What what you know? It's obviously been a lot, like you say, a long long process. Yeah. But have there been times where you've felt that maybe you wouldn't get to that place? Well, you know, I, I, it, the 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 uh, bad decade is not far off it. To be quite honest, I think for a long time. Yeah. It's a long time. It's a long time. You know, you carry on existing, and it's not that there weren't good moments or fun moments, particularly within it. But uh, they were sort of fairly lost. I was directionless. But I think the the biggest that moment of staring into the void thing. I think I had at thirty one or thirty two. So um, I did a degree in business and marketing, and then worked in various marketing companies. And the last company I worked for. I ended up having to sue for breach of contract. They decided that they were a bunch of charlatans anyway, but they they decided that they weren't going to pay me, and uh, and then I had expenses and stuff, and they weren't going to return those, and I had no choice but to kind of um, take them to court. And they countersued with some something else uh, to kind of say, well, you were incompetent, and so we're suing you for that. So there were two years when I couldn't get any kind of job at all, and the first three months were really miserable and I remember kind of thinking that was the staring into the void because I thought gosh I'm in my 30s I don't know how this is going to turn out and Mm. if it turns out badly for me I don't know how long I'll be repaying Mm. uh, whatever the costs will be or or anything like that also I can't get a job I'll then have you know two years of not having worked plus the two or three years I was involved with the company they don't really give me any a good um, write-up or or anything. So um, I'm way behind all my peers. I was in debt as well. I had to move back in with my parents. So you know, all those buttons. lots of backward steps. Yeah, the, yeah. The, And um, and I remember kind of first three months. I just there was a video shop that I used to cycle down to, and if you returned the videos before five o'clock. They were 50p each. So yeah. I'd get three films out, come back, I'd watch them back to back and then cycle down there to kind of give them their tapes back. And I remember um, I did that for about three months. It was very difficult to get up in the mornings as well. My dad would say, you know, get up. And I'd, you know, there's a bit of me thinking, why? There's yeah. nothing I can do. And, um, and I remember watching a double bill of, uh, it was Comfort of Strangers and Betty Blue. I was so depressed at the end of these two films. Betty Blue was that iconic kind of film that everyone had the poster of. Yeah, that's they? right. Yeah. yeah. And it was, they're just both really, really depressing yeah, films. They are. Yeah, they are. What am I doing? It's just <laughs> awful, you know. Um, and I thought, I've got to get out. And so I volunteered at my local hospital. I contacted them and said, I know you have a um, hospital radio set up. Can I get involved in that? 
and present a show. And they said, well, it's, it's not, it doesn't work like that. You can just walk in <laughs> and say, I'd like to present Demand a show, please. Thank you very much. Um, so I went round towards collecting requests and I filed in the record library and stuff like that. And um, I did that twice a week and it got me out of the house, which yeah. was the most important thing. And then at that time, Nitin Sawney, who's now super duper composer, um, who I'd been at university with, I rang him up and I said, look, you know, you're sitting around not doing anything at the moment, so am I. Should we just get together and hang out and maybe come up with stuff, you know, uh, sketches and skits and blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah. And then we did that and thought, well, we should put this on, really. Um, and so we then put it on somewhere. And I then got a part-time job uh, in the, the, the court case. They settled out of court after a couple of years. And um, I got a part-time job in, a, in an art centre. And... So it meant that we also had a venue that yeah. we could oh, yeah. play in. So yeah. we we played in that, and that got us enough attention. We then sort of gigged around London, uh, and he took two or three places, art centres and stuff. And at one of them, you know, a couple of producers turned up from the BBC and said, "We're thinking of doing a sketch show. This is this, this kind of material we're looking for. Would you be interested?" So it was a life-changing moment. Yeah. Wow. And so one of the things, again, you know, I say to the students at Sussex was that, you know, the future is not written. And yeah. I said, mm. you know, I could not have believed when I was sitting on the floor, you know, uh, completely bereft, having watched Betty, Betty Blue, Blue. the fourth time. <laughs> that, yeah, that, you know, within yeah. sort of two, three years, that I would have this new career starting, you know. So... It's not yet written. And the thing is that people fear the unexpected. That's yeah. the thing that ultimately people don't know what's coming, and that's terrifying. Yeah. But actually the don't know can be somewhere pretty good. Well, we, yeah, we kind of – I've had this conversation with my wife recently where we're – I'm quite a present dweller, and she's quite a future dweller. Mm -hmm. So she'll be – it's always looking at what's going to – what's coming. What's <laughs> you made it sound incredibly sci-fi already. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an episode of Star Trek or something. <laughs> we are the future <laughs> dwellers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. no, 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 that's all. But <laughs> that kind of thing, like you know, always planning what's happening next. Blah, 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 mm. blah. And I, I, I am more like day to day kind of thing. And I think it's that thing of actually sometimes we do try and live in the future too much. Sometimes we're too, we're too worried about what's the next step, what's going to happen. You know, where am I going to be in five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever it might be. And actually, sometimes we just need to live in that moment. I think while. you're right, yeah. yeah. I mean, and we, we end up having to do both. You know, yeah. we have to plan. But my thing is also that, uh, just because of my own experiences, that the journey is everything. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the destinations, yeah, fine. So head out for that. Yeah. There was a, there was a great story, again, that I use at the university sometimes in the speeches, which, which someone told me uh, about uh, some ancient Greek king who decided that he would move his capital, right? And... And the the, the uh, dwellers, the present dwellers, the, yeah. <laughs> the Greek dwellers. This is a new thing. Um, they were told, it's tomorrow. We've got to move tomorrow. right? Here's this other place. You've all got, got to go tomorrow. So everybody kind of packed up their stuff and got their horses and carts and stuff. And there were some people who just raced to the next place to kind of get the best real estate and the best kind of vantage points and all the rest of it. And there were other people who plodded along and stopped at villages and stopped at waterfalls and you know, looked at rivers and all that kind of stuff. And when they all arrived at this new capital, there was nothing there. It was absolutely barren. So the only people who'd gained anything were the people who'd stopped on the way. Mm. And so that it is that thing, again, again about the destinations. 
yeah, it's important to have them. Yeah, yeah. But actually, the journey's everything. That might change. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the living in the present bit becomes the journey. Just being appreciative of the journey. You know. Yeah, but also your story evolved when you got out and did something. You yeah. were sort of proactive, and that started the seeds of something heading in a direction. Yeah, I think in terms of it, professionally, yes. I mean, it, uh, my interest in it was from as far back as I can remember, you know, three, four years old. And uh, and I was fascinated. And I kind of, my mum says when I was four, five, and we, we'd be watching TV, I would turn around to her sometimes and say, I could do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like five. And you kind of go, that's what were you just watching? arrogance, you know. I think it was... <laughs> That's probably world in action. <laughs> um, we were, I mean, I know that uh, the saint. And, uh, oh, okay. We'll watch more. Yes. Yeah, that was a really, really big thing in our house. Really big. Because I was going to say, was it James Bond? But it's the saint, was it? Was With Roger Moore, yeah. yeah. The saint and then the persuaders, and then. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember one of the. You know, it's still fantastical to me that I got to be uh, friends with him. Uh, with Roger and uh, one of the things that he said which which was uh, incredible he was an incredibly funny guy actually very funny very warm and I said to him once I said Roger have I ever told you that Live and Let Die was the first Bond film I ever went to see and he said no and I said yeah I said it was in the days of continuous programming so they would just run the film again and again and again across yeah, yeah. the day and um, and I said you know we watched it and, and I thought I'll watch the first ten minutes that was great I'll watch another half hour I watched another hour. I said, Roger, I watched the whole thing twice. I sat there, went in for one show, Got watched it worth. twice. <laughs> and he, he paused for a second and he said, you owe me £4.50. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of, I was a telly addict. I kind of watched oh, okay. absolutely everything that was, that was able to watch. My, my punishment from my mum uh, was... Uh, to, not only to not watch TV, but because sometimes in the winter, you know, it was pre-central heating and stuff. Winter's really cold, and mm. so we effectively camped in one room, which had the telly in it. So it would be my mum would make me turn my back to the television, and I kind of it was now I kind of realised it was it was incredibly inventive because I just found reflective surfaces <laughs> that I could watch the thing on, you know, from bits of glass or kind of you know, bit of marble or whatever, you know. A statue or something like that, anything that would give anything, me yeah. a slight reflection of it. So yeah, I watched. Uh, I watched a lot. So do you think you always had a yearning to go into? You know, even if you hadn't left the marketing job in that way, you might have found your way into performing or somehow. Do you know what? I couldn't see a way in. I always wanted to do it. And so I, I mean, it's a running gag now. But um, I, you know, again, I was probably three, four, five years old when an uncle said, "You know, what do you want to be when you grow up?" And I said, actor. And my dad said, it's pronounced doctor. <laughs> and uh, and that, that was kind of when I was, yeah, four or five years old. So it was really early on, yeah. really early that I kind of knew I was fascinated. But I was fascinated with the business. I was fascinated with filmmaking as well. Um, so when I was about six, I found a prospectus of Pinewood Studios in our flat. And I said, where's this come from? And my mum said, I think someone left it in the laundrette, you know. And I kind of, poured over the pages and this you know they had pictures of these huge lights and sets and it was you know facilities brochure really mm. but uh, they had a big tank there as well and a, a back projection and and I was fascinated by by all of it and it was when I was 
about 40, I think, or in my, certainly my early 40s, that I kind of discovered that my dad had wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh, and so oh. when he came here, when he came to, to Britain, he came to London, he'd gone around the studios and said, you know, how do I make a film? How do I go about making a film? So he'd picked up these various you know, prospectus eye. Is that the... Ooh, yeah. It is now. Um, and, um, but uh, because he couldn't see a way in, he wanted to protect me from the disappointment that he felt. So he had never mentioned it and just, and wasn't particularly encouraging of me at all in terms of, you know, through my kind of early years and the 20s. You see there the possibly be some pain ahead. So yeah. like say protecting you from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And you know, it was only after I'd sort of uh, um, you know been involved in a couple of things that were successful that he kind of let that out and sort of said, "I'm kind of driv- li- living some of my dreams through you now." Wow. Um, which was an extraordinary thing to discover at you know at forty-one or whatever yeah, it was yeah. When I found out. But mm. I guess there is always you know in the performing industry, it is an uncertain industry to work in. So there's going to be ups and downs, isn't there? No matter what age you get into it. There is, but also, you know, life is uncertain. And, you know, there's no jobs for life anymore. And uh, and if I you know, genuinely adhere to the journey as everything, then, you know, it, you know, I don't know if I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. You know, it may just, I may just go in another direction that only appeared because I walked this particular path. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't fret too much about that, about... Uh, the destinations again. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's those people who kind of say, oh, you know, I've got to win a BAFTA by this. I want to be the yeah. lead in something like this. I want to do a yeah. West End musical by this. And, and in a way, do you know what it, part of it is? Because my career has been such a surprise. It was so unexpected after sort of longing for it for so long that, you know, if I think about, you know, my teenage bedroom and the posters I had on my wall, who were all these kind of distant figures... And now I think about how many of them I've met. Yeah. Mm. And how some of them have become friends. I kind of go, how can I possibly, you know, pay that back? You know, so, you know, if this was all it was going to be, that's extraordinary. Yeah. That's absolutely extraordinary, you know, mm. in terms of the experiences, you know, just the people I've met and experiences I've had would just, they belong to a part of my fantasy at one stage. And I've kind of, lived them so you know that gratitude that I have to be lucky enough to be doing what I love doing is kind of I'm, I'm never too far from that it doesn't feel that long ago that it wasn't yeah and you do a lot as well I mean you're you're very you're varied aren't you you do all sorts I'm varied <laughs> I'm very, that sounds like one of those do you know it's one of those lines from a Marvel film where you get the characters what does he say he comes and he goes I'm varied and they kind of go I don't know does that really convey to an audience what does that mean varied I'm variable would that be better I'm varied what are you vary man who pays the vary man where are we going Um, what would vary man's powers be though just, just oh, variety. Just variety. <laughs> variety yeah. stuff. I mean, it's I mean it'd be just... quite a good superhero to be. You could, you yeah, you could do anything. Yeah. Well, it's not. he's not everything 
man. I mean, he's just no, no, he's, he's varied. Just varied. It's <laughs> like, it could be all really, really, really shit. Like, yeah. so bad, well, sure. you know, there's a bunch of stuff that he's quite good at. <laughs> quite, a bunch yeah, of exactly. stuff. Kind of, yeah, I mean, you know, it could be kind of I don't know, shopping or yeah, exactly. recycling. Yeah, exactly. It may not he's be a, kind of he's really amazing personal shopper. accounts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Certified accountant. Well, see, the Avengers need that though, don't they? They need an accountant. Everyone needs an accountant. Their insurance must be, their premiums must be (laughs) through the roof. I mean, they always wrecking like cities and stuff. Yeah, and they've all, I mean, a lot of, I mean, Iron Man, I mean, it's a. I mean, that's a vehicle, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it yeah. should be licensed, shouldn't it? It should be, definitely. Yeah. can't be flying around. Exactly. He's so <laughs> reckless in it as well. I mean, you know, there's no... Yeah. <laughs> the amount of stuff he's damaged. Yeah. You want, you want to see a person giving him a ticket. Exactly. Yeah. 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 NCP. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> you need a permit for that. So, yeah. We just clocked you uh, going at 340 miles yeah, an hour. Yeah. Again. 30 mile per hour. Yeah. There's a school over yeah. there. Yeah. Mr. Stark. Yeah. You know. He can go to one of those classes where, you know, when you get a parking ticket, parking speeding ticket. Speed yeah. awareness course. Speed awareness course, yeah. yeah. I've done one of them. Have you? Yeah. I felt, I felt so incensed. I felt, <laughs> probably like everyone there, I felt I shouldn't be there. But I was, I was done for doing 32 on a 30 mile an hour limit. Okay. On the motorway where they decided that they were going to... Oh, oh, when they were there, the speed limit, yeah. yeah. But even that is supposed to be... 10, 10 or eleven percent over. No, isn't it? there's no. This is what we discovered because we all kind of like you know leapt in with that, and they said no, it's not. It's kind of it's absolutely the jurisdiction of. Oh, that's that's cheating. Uh, yeah. So were you with other people that um, have been done more extreme speeding? In your group, well, you'd imagine everyone had done more extreme speeding. <laughs> yeah. than that, really. well, I don't know. Someone who's done thirty-one. <laughs> well, so, I was wondering. Yeah, that's. No, I wondered. You know, if there was. A, you know, Actually, there was, there was one guy who, who I think had also done thirty-two, okay. thirty or something like that. And it, it was, you know, it's that arms folded. Well, they're showing you pictures of yeah. gruesome. <laughs> what you could. This is what could happen if you're going to go. I was doing thirty-two. We're all heading in the same direction. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like there was oncoming traffic, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it was it was quite an experience. <laughs> <laughs> so harsh. But yeah, varied career. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit more specific. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, but you do. I mean, you do broadcasting. You write. You comedy. You're acting. Yeah, I think that um, is that to keep things fresh. Do you think, or just because you want to have a try at everything? I'm or? just interested in all of it. Yeah, and um, I mean, I certainly, you know, so I was thirty. Three thirty-four. When goodness gracious me, which is the first yeah. thing that I did that you know was successful. Oh, this was the first thing I did, um, and it was successful. So it, yes, it covered both of those things. But mm. I remember thinking, okay, this is fantastic. But I am—I've got no experience, and I—I I didn't do GCSE drama or anything like that. I did some productions at at university, uh, free choice things. So it was kind of just people meeting on a Saturday to put on a production. Um, two in a year or something um, but I remember thinking yeah I'm kind of way behind my peers and so I need to catch up so I need to do a lot of stuff quickly just to get a feel and just to get a, uh, get a hold on it so I think certainly within the first five years I think I'd, I'd done a TV series and I'd done a play in the West End which I'd never done before done a documentary series done some radio so I did, did a Quite a few that appeared in a couple of films, did little bits in films. So I did a lot of that. So that first five years, I think, was... Do you think you had to say yes to a lot of stuff? And possibly now you might not have... Just because you wanted, like you're saying, you're trying to catch up. 
I think so. Yeah, because it was all experience. Yeah. So, um, you know, now if there are things that I say no to, they tend to be for more strategic reasons. You know, my thing is always you've got to know why you're doing something, mm. you know, and that can be a very personal thing. Uh, but, you know, with jobs, it's, you know, if I know it's it's for the money, then that's fine. It's for the money, got bills to pay and stuff. But then I won't in my head be kind of uh, feeling hard done by if it's not fun or mm. if mm. the quality isn't great. Sure, well, that's yeah, not yeah. the reason I did it. And sometimes there are ones that you do with, with the money's awful, but it's to work with somebody or to play a part or to, you know, uh, access and experience, at which point I'm not going to fetch about the fact that I'm not, you know, earning any money from mm. it. So that, that bottom line thing is important for me, certainly, to kind of go, okay, when when the shit hits the fan on this, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. was the reason I said yes? Because that s- still should hold. Um, if it doesn't, it doesn't. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. fine. And you deal with that then. But usually it does. You know. um, so, yeah, I, I think I probably did say uh, yes to pretty much everything, particularly in that first five years. Mm. Thing. I, not just needed to in terms of catch-up, but also... Because it was all new, so it was yeah. all me learning, and I'm, I enjoy being in a position of learning, so I, which I still do. So, uh, you know, the learning curve I, 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 is one that I enjoy. Was it daunting as well, though? Because obviously you were trying new things, or do you uh, do you relish that kind of, you know? Because some, for some people, you know, if you're in the back of a duck out of water, it's not always comfortable. Yeah, I I think that I, I I'm probably best or most comfortable right on the edge or just outside of my comfort zone because I know that I'm being pushed then Mm. and it means I have to kind of step up to the plate and I have to kind of work a little harder and uh, and I quite enjoy that you know I just think that also it's such a privilege to do what you love doing Mm. because most people on the planet don't yeah Uh, you know most people have to go out and earn a living and to be able to do it because it's something I, I really am passionate about, is such a privilege that I don't feel I can throw that away or, or I can't insult it in mm. a way. So it's, you know, it's always slightly frustrating. I remember talking to, shall I name drop? Should yeah, I, go okay. for it. Yeah, yeah. We like name dropping on this. Oh, good. Um, uh, <laughs> Terry Gilliam, who's a who's That's a, a good friend. name to That's drop. a good one, yeah. Um, <laughs> I got to know the Pythons because I did um, Spamalot. Uh, the Python oh, okay, musical. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Terry Gilliam, Uncle Palin, and Terry Jones live quite near me. And so uh, I was talking to Terry about actors who, and I said to him, I said, what is it about certain actors where they end up loving themselves more than the process of being creative? Yeah. And he said, said, I find that strange. And he said, you know, it's when the ego then becomes about you and not about the fact that it is collaborative. Because I remember saying to Terry, or uh, you know, what, what if you had to pick one thing about directing that you really love, what is it? And he said, he said that everybody brings me their ideas and I get to choose. Yeah, and that's yeah. that thing of kind of him being open and yeah, 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 you know, having a very specific view of what he wants, but uh, yeah. enjoying that process, you know, which is also frustrating and you know, of course, but upsetting yeah, yeah. and all the rest <laughs> of it. But, but that's the deal, you know. You yeah, get good stuff. Uh, having to go through all of that. Do you, so do you, do you like the collaboration of aspect of comedy and, and acting and 
does that bring out the best in you? I, I, I love it in every single scenario. I, you know, even the idea that the three of us could come up with something that I could never have come up with on my own, I think is magical. It's yeah. absolutely magical. And, you know, may that be, you know, a work thing, but just an idea or a thought or a way to deal with life. Deal, you know, Those three T-shirts from earlier, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they're all, you know, they're interchangeable. And so, you know, that aspect of collaboration, I, I, I honestly do think it's magical. It's absolutely magical. Would so, you think that collabor- collaborating, 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 <laughs> yeah, would help you then get through potentially blank moments in creativity? Then one hundred percent for you personally. Yeah, I think for everybody. I think that you know there are times when you want to retreat um, in order to process information, and that's slightly different. That's kind of you know self choosing blank. Yeah, yeah, know? and that's kind of fine. You know, that's that's great. But um, as I said, the fact that I remember, I can't, I'm feeling self-conscious now, Alan Alder, who was in MASH for many years, who's, yeah. a, who's one of the most inspiring yeah. people yeah. I've ever met, and who's also a really good friend. And I remember he said to me once, he said, you know, the, the reason why you hear people out, he said they could be wrong about absolutely everything except the one thing that's going to change your life. Yeah. He said, and that's why you hear them out. And I thought, yeah. Yeah. You can filter out all yeah. the kind of shit. You don't need it. That's fine. Mm, That's yeah. fine. But that one thing that you kind of go... I, I remember with criticism early on, because that was new to me, suddenly, you know, yeah. people yeah, yeah. publicly criticizing you. And um, I remember kind of quite quickly getting to the point where I could filter what I needed from it. So somebody saying, you know, I think you shit. I saw that program and you you shit. Mm. But it's just... Fine. Okay. Yeah. You know, someone saying I saw that program. You were shit because I just didn't believe that you were upset when you did that. And you kind of go, okay, I can filter out the first bit. Mm. The second bit is something I can genuinely think about. Mm. And at times, you know, ha- has been useful. You know, and then you kind of surround yourself with people who are going to be honest with you, but benign. You know, they're, so they're going to be honest in the nicest way possible, and that is invaluable because, uh, you know. Everyone's creative, and I think that our biggest um, asset and our biggest, uh, um, you know, whatever the opposite of an asset is, liability, mm-hmm. uh, is our creati- creativity. Because we can, when we're down, convince ourselves that we are the worst thing that ever existed, that we mm. are pointless and rubbish and shit at everything. Mm. And the flip side is, you know, uh, you can think that you are best thing since sliced bread and you know what's right and you know everything. And so that's just us. That's just our brains doing that's that. That's the same brain. Same brain. Doing yeah. those, those so things. absolutely, uh, uh, you know, the ability to have people who can be honest with you that yeah. you know haven't got spin is such an essential part of kind of trying to exist healthily. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Sharrett, who, who sadly died um, way, way too young. He was only 40. But he was uh, one of the writers on Goodness Gracious Me and the Kamars and stuff. And he was he was like, you know, my like my right arm, actually. So him dying was, was incredibly hard to, to process. But I remember saying to him once, I've just realized what the healthiest thing, the best thing you can say to me is. And he said, well, what's that? I said, it's, it's the words I don't believe you. And he said, why? Why is that the best thing that you can say, <laughs> I can say to you? 
And I said, because if I know you care about me, I know that you, you're batting for me. Mm. So if you say, I don't believe you to something that I've said, I said, my first port of call is going to be, do I believe me? Mm. Am I fooling myself here? And I said, if I kind of think, no, I am, yes, I do believe me, then it's an opportunity for me to be clearer with you. And I said, and both those things are essential. And it did happen. It did happen where, you know, I said, I think I should do this. And that person treated me like this. And he said, I don't believe you. And I kind of stopped for a second. And I went, no, I don't believe me either. This mm -hmm. is just fear talking. This is just embarrassment and shame and all that stuff. So that having those kind of people, finding yeah. those people who can be, you know, benignly and lovingly honest with you, I think is is an incredible asset. Yeah. And I'm learning so much from this this episode. This is brilliant. That bit you're saying about taking the information that people are giving you from the criticism, mm. that's a game changer for me. Because we so quickly and automatically go to the negative. Well, but being well, able to focus on it. Well, we, 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 we respond to the hurt. Yeah. You know, and so... So I've been punching the gut, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's you know, it's horrible. It's horrible seeing things in print, and especially on social media now. You kind of see yeah. it aimed at other people as well. And uh, you know, a, a real game changer for me was uh, yeah, one of your excellent former guests, John Ronson, and his book. So you've been publicly shamed, and he did make me think twice about yeah, you know, what I put on Twitter. And it's not that I don't. I'm not insulting towards you know certain presidents <laughs> countries in the world but the thing is that you know it's still uh, you know it's generally couched in, in comic terms yeah and also it's punching up you know the whole thing yes. about punching down yeah you know I've never said anything about you know his youngest kid for instance I wouldn't because I just kind of go yeah it's sure a kid yeah, yeah. And that's a cheap shot and that's punching down but um, he's fair game yeah um, yeah as are all the twat politicians. Well. They're all fair <laughs> There's you know. a lot of them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a turkey shoot at the moment, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But um, yeah, I think too, that, that thing about not responding to the hurt thing, I think um, it's what is most useful for me. And usually an argument, it's, it's very often someone else's agenda. Yeah. You just got drawn in. You, didn't, you weren't looking for an argument. You didn't want an argument. And suddenly you're in this kind of well, I didn't mean that. Well, I did. Yes, I said it, but I didn't. Mean, and you kind of go, I don't, I don't want to be here. So the thing is, it's spotting those things before you're drawn into the middle of it. And uh, Twitter spats are a perfect yeah. example. Oh, of God. You yeah. can have one response, and suddenly you're drawn into this whole thing. And, and increasingly, actually, over the, even very recently, I've, I've kind of typed a response to something and then gone, no, just just leave it. Yeah, leave it. It's just it's it's traffic, you know. And suddenly, I've decided to pick out one thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that, it's not about not doing it. It's about going. Okay, why do I want to engage with this? Yeah. And I do. I am I prepared to kind of yeah. invest? Do that? I need to do this? I need to. Is it going to make I you had feel one, better? Is it yeah. going to make me feel worse? I had one the other day that I really wished I hadn't. Someone had tweeted something from some right winger that I thought was ridiculous. And I said, I said, why are you retweeting this garbage? Mm. And it turns out that she was basically a flat earther. This is a lady I've known for a long time, perfectly nice, worked, worked with her a few times. And I, I just suddenly got drawn into this massive 
streams of tweets from her but you don't you don't know you don't know the truth will be revealed you don't know all this dms and i was like i was like oh i really wish i just hadn't said that i wish i wish i was still living in the, in the ignorance of i'm sure she's lovely <laughs> and 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 it, do you know what i mean instead i got drawn into this whole conspiracy it was well the thing is horrible but also from one only, tweet well the, there's only a few things that you can because of the limitations of, of twitter uh of social media generally, there's only a few things you can hit back with. You know, the primary yeah. one is logic, yeah. and that's not going to work. Yeah. Somebody has decided the earth yeah. is flat. Yeah. You kind of go, I, it's, yes, any amount of kind of, you could fly around the world, what about <laughs> pictures from space that are going to go, yeah. you know, conspiracy, conspiracy, yeah, conspiracy, yeah, yeah, conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. You know, that thing of kind of, uh, you know, lots of people disappear every year. That's one of their justifications. It's because they've gone over the edge. Well, and you go, <laughs> that's just... I know. How, so you can't... Logic can't fight it. And then the other thing is you, you just want to go, you're, you're a twat. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that's kind of, you know, yeah, another yeah. response. And yeah. you know, there's not much else left that you can do. I just yeah. backtracked and said, I wish you well. And just, yeah. I just backed out because I thought it'd be easier. But it was literally that one tweet, one moment well, that I regret. Know, but also the thing is that a lot of the times now, and especially with trolls, and there's a point where you do have to draw a line and go, this is unacceptable, either at yourself or, or someone else sometimes. But, um, you know, you can't, I can't dismiss the element of mental illness there may be hmm. in this person that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And at that point, that's when I kind of go, yeah, is that going to be, that's going to be punching down, I think. Yeah, that's true. And then I step back from it then. Yeah. And but, you don't always know people's stories and people's backgrounds and sometimes it can happen on social media or in person you get someone on a bad day and you don't know what they've gone through in their personal life no and just true. because you're in a certain frame of mind and you just you I, don't I remember, always know but i remember thinking that about you know drivers you know mad drivers where the you know you get angry and you want to beep and, and i kind of thought i know it, his mum might have just died yeah, exactly. you know, he might be in some awful i remember kind of you know um, certainly my son has said to me a couple of times when somebody's cut us up or someone said, are you going to beep him? And I said, you know, maybe he needs to be somewhere. Yeah. Mm. You know, maybe that's why he's kind of driving erratically. Yeah. You know? uh, so you just want to kind of give that space for yeah. a bit of compassion. Second time they screw up, you just kind of... Fool me once. Number three, well, Shine you know, the, the torch game. in his eye. <laughs> We're going to come back the other way. Um, Tail him on the right way yeah. at 30, Shoot not his tyres out. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, the first step I think should be compassionate one at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think... I mean, we talk about this a lot on the pod, actually. Yeah, we do, yeah, yeah. Compassion is so... It's like gold dust, isn't it? It's a, it's a real... It's an important commodity, but it doesn't seem to be around a lot at the moment. And, but I think it can make a big difference. Huge. Huge. I think, you know, again, it goes back to that thing of do you want to be the highest version of yourself mm. or not? And, you know, for me, the, the, my tribe, you know, growing up, where I realized very quickly that it wasn't kind of, you know, people with the same skin tone or background or social class or whatever. It was uh, people who were compassionate and creative, you know. So those were the people I wanted to hang out with. Those are the ones I had a shorthand with. Uh, not necessarily, you know, again, going back to something I say to the students at Sussex, I did last last year, I think, was that I said, look, I have, I have met uh, complete and utter knobs from every religion, every gender, yeah. every political party, every age, every town. I mean, every denomination you can think of, I've met a twat from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I've also met extraordinary people. Yeah. Extraordinarily good people from all of those as well. So I said, don't let anybody tell you 
that you belonging to a certain group gives you some kind of you know quick access to a moral high ground. It really doesn't. I said it's absolutely an individual decision. Hundred percent. You know, it's up to you. Yeah. Right? And you you choose that. You know, and also you bear the consequences of it. You know, good or bad. But I absolutely believe that. So that notion of compassion to me is so intrinsic to the people that I want to connect with. But that's what I'm looking for. You know, it, even uh, recently I met James Cleverly, who was kind of, you know, the Brexit minister, mm-hmm. uh, one of the Brexit ministers. Just dropped out, yeah. isn't he? Of the, uh, he just he dropped out of okay, the yeah. race, yeah. And, um, you know, so he's, he's on an, an, an opposite political kind of uh, uh, viewpoint to me. But I had a really decent, civil, quite warm conversation with him. And it was that. It was kind of, I don't need any, I don't need people to agree with me on everything. No. But a level of civility, a level of compassion, mm. I think is really telling. And so I actually don't trust people in positions of power who do not express compassion yeah. in what they're doing. Yeah. Just don't try. I kind of go, no, you, you failed. You failed as a human being already well it should be number it should be the first thing shouldn't it yeah really yeah <laughs> it really should yeah it shouldn't even come into question almost. yeah you can't ask everyone to agree with you but you can ask them to be civil and compassionate that's yeah that's not demanding it's not it's base it's base yeah. it is yeah. it's absolutely base yeah. yeah that is that's your building block yeah is that it's and you know people kind of as you were saying you know in terms of looking at the future people are, are trying to kind of uh, imagine themselves into some exalted position, which generally is material, uh, yeah. you know, as opposed to just being emotionally happy or settled or whatever. It's usually about stuff. Yeah. And so you're going to lose anyway because you can never win with materialism. Um, and you kind of go, actually, do you know if you just started with compassion? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And humor. Yeah, man, yeah, yeah. Ninety percent of your life is going to be pretty good. Exactly. Actually, yeah. exactly. You know, uh, the 10% is going to be hard, but you'll have compassion and humor and you'll have people around you with that yeah. to help you through it. You can get through it. Have you ever had moments in work where there's been lack of compassion somewhere or you know, hard moments like that? Yes, I have. Um, you know, it's usually, uh, you know, if it's been directed at me, um, apart from at the beginning, again, it sits within this context of I am so lucky to be doing this. Mm that some actor or director is having a go at me. It's horrible at the time. But, you know, the, the, the one step back, bigger picture, um, you know, the, the cinemascope picture of it, it's kind of it's still pretty good, really, you know. And, and also I kind of see problems um, as, as creative opportunities. You know, the creative, there's the opportunity to find a creative solution, and I quite like that. I like trying to find a creative solution to something. So, you know, there have been times where, you know, it's difficult now because I've just got more experience. So I kind of feel I'm more that I know what I'm doing. But certainly early on, um, it was, you know, some of them just got filed away as anecdotes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't feel like a waste. It was yeah. kind of, I remember in, in um, filming in Trinidad for a Merchant Ivory film, and there was a sound operator there, boom operator holding the boom mic uh who's the worst i've ever experienced <laughs> and i remember he was from from new york and we all had to do these Trin- trinidadian accents it was set in in uh, mystic masseur by vs naipaul was the book and um set in 1950s trinidad 
So we'd all have these Trinidadian accents, which is self-conscious anyway, because you're in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going, God, I sound like Ali G. That's that's a terrible accent. And um, and I had this tongue twister of a line in the accent, and I I kind of you know fumbled maybe twice. Not usually four or five is where it starts to become embarrassing. Yeah, because it was quite early on. This New York guy always had Ray Bans on, holding the boom. And I kind of screwed up the line. I said, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Can we go again? Can we go again? And I just heard him go, fucking actors, man. Why can't you learn your fucking lines? And I thought, I, I can't believe it. And then it was, do I, but no, I've got to get this scene right because there's, you know, 50 other people here. Yeah. I'll deal with that later. And he was just like that all the time. And um, which made it, you know, there was the bit that was kind of, Oh, that's just given me more anxiety. Yeah, yeah. But there was the bit of me that was going, that's really interesting. <laughs> I've got to file that away. I've got to yeah. tell my friends about that. You know, so there is the bit of me that's... I wondered if he'd, take, he'd taken a wrong career path, but it's like, <laughs> to work yeah. with actors all the <laughs> I, time. I, it's just a slightly <laughs> odd one, isn't yeah. it, really? It's oh, of, actors. <laughs> I remember I was feeling sick once, and he kind of... That was one time I, I did react, actually. But he, I was feeling ill, and there was another guy mm. who was um, American who was very nice, and he was saying, you know, can I get you an Advil? Or can I get Advils? Do you have Advils? And I said, uh, yeah. And he walked past, New York guy, and he said, yeah, fucking whiny actors, man. He said, we're in the fucking tropics. Why don't you try enjoying it? And, that, <laughs> and I kind of that, I, I was, felt ill, and I went right into his face. And I said, and who was talking to you? And he said, I heard. I said, your job is to hear through your cans. <laughs> and I think he's swing at me, swing at me, because only one of us is going to get fired. I've already filmed for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get rid of me. And then he kind of walked away. But it was, um, and that was catching me at a much more vulnerable moment, <laughs> yeah, yeah. perhaps. But, um, but yeah, otherwise they're anecdotes. They're interesting yeah. little kind of things. God, he was definitely in the wrong industry. <laughs> he really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like going... IMDb. It. Yeah, yeah. I still there. Still, there. still doing it. Uh, can I say, first of all, I really wish you'd come and spoken at my university. Oh. That would have been amazing. Where, where, we had, we had Fred Dynage. How? How? So he goes back even further than, <laughs> yeah. you, know, his, you know, I'm friends with the craze. <laughs> I interview people behind my... Well, he didn't. Did he, he do, do like? Yeah, he did like true crimey type yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, okay. In the Meridian, because I'm from that's Hell my too. that's my air because I'm from Seaford, which is down oh, away okay. from Brighton. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, Fred Dynage is the newsreader in in Meridian. That's right. Meridian. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was. Okay. I mean, it was weird for me because I mean, you know, people, but sort of indication of age. How was this program? Yeah. I think on the BBC was Carol Vorderman on that as well. I don't. I th- don't think so. Mm. Oh, I thought Carol. Uh, it was kind of it was Fred Dynage. science kind of approach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was. It was a bunch of people going, you know, how does electricity work? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but they they decided that they'd put they'd use the the uh, Native American yeah. how yeah. as the kind yeah. of <laughs> as your way in. Yeah, you know, kind of how did you get away with that? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Everyday casual racism. <laughs> exactly. um, and uh, so yeah, he did that. So it was really odd for me to. To go, oh, here's Fred Dynage, who kind of does, you know, how do you get a ship into a bottle? Yeah, yeah. that and, was always it. Yeah. And then it was suddenly true crime. Yeah. Was, you know, interviewing some sort of like, you know, serial killer. And it was kind of like, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but, was he, but was he going, how do you bury a body? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would have been it. Maybe how do you kill 17 it. people? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, dear. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, well, I was just going to go ask, because 
obviously you had that period where you did your marketing and stuff. Mm. Do you feel now sometimes that was wasted time? That perhaps you could have been, you could have gone to drama school or whatever. Do you do you, do you feel that feeling of that actually? You know, you weren't. You know, it was your early thirties when you, when things started to you started to do the things you really wanted to do. Yes, I mean, I, you know, even the, the business degree, the marketing degree, was not what I wanted to do. So it was, but no, I, you know, I go back, and it's that thing of, you know, if you change one thing, yeah, you know, it, it's not, it's not as convenient as Back to the Future. <laughs> you go and sort of just make them kiss at the ball, and everything will be all right. Um, but also uh, because I, I do absolutely believe that the journey is everything. Yeah, I look at it and go, do you know what? It's all played a part. All. Mm the negative stuff all the sad stuff all the mm. tragic stuff the challenges they've all brought me um, to sitting here with you now and this is a bit cool it, it, well it is for now <laughs> exactly no idea. well we're Today high up so we're high up as well so I'm gonna, you know I'm, if I'm lucky I'll be able to get a lift which I couldn't get up on the way up here but uh, um, so yeah it is, it yeah. is. It's, uh, and the next step hasn't been written yeah mm. and so I'm open to it you know I'm open to whatever that will be and certainly now you know I, don't, I wouldn't say I've got lots of close friends but you know there are people that I know that are open and compassionate and creative and I can yeah. I can tap into them you know yeah. that's the one good thing about social media I mean there's loads of people on there that that I don't know particularly well but you kind of look at their tweets and you get a sense of yeah. you know how connected you are to them and that's that can be really very reassuring, bizarrely, you yeah. know, um, because you can filter out all the, the, you know, the negative stuff that people are angry and fearful and upset and stuff. And you go, yeah, there are a few people on here that I kind of like the sound of. Yeah, you know, there are some good people out there. Yeah, and, yeah. Th- and most people out there are good. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's the terrible people make the most noise. Exactly. exactly. You know, everyone else they? is too busy kind of trying to make their lives work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and speaking of which, we we ask our guests at the end of the pod. Um, I wish we could talk for hours because it's been so fascinating. Yeah. But we need to wrap up at some point. Um, what's their advice for blank moments for any of our listeners that might be having their own blank moments? What, what would your be advice to pass on? Hmm. Well, I, you know, it's it's recognizing whether it's you know it's fearful blank, neutral blank, or happy blank. And if it is fearful blank, it's kind of knowing that it's temporary. Yeah, it it cannot be that for the rest of your life it just can't uh and also it is to kind of uh you know look within it for the most loving thing that you can do in that moment and the most loving thing it might be to go for a walk it might be to kind of talk to somebody it might be to play a piece of music but it's it it's that moment where you kind of go okay anxiety and fear hang on a sec i know you're there hang on a sec give me a moment and then just find that space for yourself to kind of go, okay, this, yeah. this, I have an option, you yeah. know. And that defines who you are. And as I said, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like mistakes. It, you know, sometimes the solution to a problem is waiting behind your next mistake. You know, so th- there's no embarrassment about making mistakes. You know, that's yeah. how we do learn. And sometimes that is the thing that is blocking the solution to it, is you having to do something it turning out wrong and you go there's the promised land on the other side of it yeah you know and if you'd known that before you would be less fearful fearful about making the mistake in the first place so 
Uh, so I've got no advice for people. Patently, <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm just talking out of my ass. Really Not at all. No, but yeah. um, it is that. It is. It's. It's self care. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's the, it's the kid inside you that's terrified yeah. at that moment. Yeah. You know, if you're an adult, and it's kind of going, "Hang on, shit stuff. Yeah. We'll deal with you in a second, right? I know you're there, but let me just deal with this little caring thing first. Yeah. And that can just give you the space, I think. Yeah, yeah. Self-love is important, mm. and I've loved doing this pod with you. So, Sanjeev oh, well, Baskar, that's very kind of you. Thank yeah, you. thanks Thank for joining you so us. Much, I've talked Sanjeev. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that's the <laughs> idea. That's good. Yeah, that's the idea. I don't know. Three people in a room. It sounded like there was just one. <laughs> Me. We like to keep quiet, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Seriously, yeah, thanks thank so much for joining you. us. No, thank, thank you. you. Loved it. Sanjeev Bashkar on the Blank Podcast. What, a, what, what a, a legend. Pod. Yeah, what a lovely guy. Yeah, really nice guy. Um, and just fascinating career. Um, I love the bit about treating the journey with respect, you know, and trying to, trying to enjoy the journey and not worry too much about the destination, which I think is something we can all relate to. Absolutely. I think that's the most important bit in a way, isn't it, the journey? And actually, yeah, it was just so great for him to describe it that, the way he did. He's, you know, it, very articulate guy and just really beautiful words and yeah I really enjoyed spending some time with him yeah me too well thank yeah. you Sanji for joining yeah. us on the pod um, we've had some tweets as per Giles and we get a lot of lovely ones this one is from Leslie Watson hey Leslie and she says I finally finished listening to Blank Pod with Reese Shear Smith uh, really enjoying the podcast keep finding excuses to take the baby out for a walk uh, so I can get the headphones on and listen uninterrupted I'm glad that we're your excuse. Exactly. To do that. Yeah, that's no, really honored. nice. It's a really lovely message. And yeah, it was a great podcast with Reese. It was. And I, we've said this before, but the Reese pod seems to have really struck a chord with really people. It really has. Yeah, lots of people have messaged about it. And it's just been really lovely to get all the feedback about it. I think people really did sort of uh, empathise with Reese yeah. with the, the shy social anxiety stuff. Yeah, clearly, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. So thank you very much. Um, if you want to tweet us, we'd love hearing your feedback. You, could, you can get us. Our handle is. At Blank Pod. It is indeed. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook if you want to try there instead. Our handle is the same. At Blank Pod. Um, and we have an email address as well if you want to send us something longer than 240 characters, which is theblankpodcast2018 at gmail.com. Lovely stuff. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back, of course, next week with another special guest talking about their blank moments. So have a good week, Giles. And you. Take care. Thanks, mate. And our listeners as well. And we'll see you again very soon. Media Podcast.